Welcome to Boston Confidential, Beantown's true crime podcast. Boston is a great city, but there's more to it than the Freedom Trail and Fenway Park. There's a startling underbelly to the city, and Boston Confidential will take you on a guided tour of the hub of the universe, Boston, Massachusetts. Hey everybody, welcome back to Boston Confidential. My name's Barry McGuire, and I'm your host. I'm a 20-year private investigator on the streets of Boston, and I help run a company called Impact Due Diligence Investigations. If you need anything in terms of investigative services, feel free to contact me at Impact. If I can't help you personally, I'll certainly direct you to the right person or agency. All right, guys, let's get to it. Just some housekeeping stuff, as we usually do at the outset of each episode. Some good news for Boston Confidential. We've just surpassed 500,000 downloads for the podcast. And I want to say thank you to the audience. Obviously, you did it. I did not. And it's quite a feeling. It's a pretty big feat in the podcasting industry, which is pretty small. I think my podcast provider, Buzzsprout, had sent me an email a while back, just after we surpassed 500,000, that we are in the top 2% of all podcasts in the United States. So that's amazing to me. I remember when I started this, I was very nervous. If you go back to some of the first episodes, I was super nervous and I didn't have the audio fixed on the podcast yet. So thanks for sticking with me through that. I can't really listen to my, I think the first one I did was on Tiffany Moore, the 12-year-old girl who got shot off of a mailbox in Dorchester, and what came after that. It was a crazy case, and I chose that for my first episode because that had always stuck with me. I was a young kid in the city at the time, and Boston was just really a shooting gallery at that time in the 90s. And Tiffany Moore got shot off the mailbox. It was absolutely horrific. A couple of arrests were made, but the case fell apart after a while. But I was very nervous, and <laughs> I can't believe you guys listened. So thank you very much. 500,000 downloads in the books, and I'm looking to go to a million pretty soon. So let's step it up a little bit. Tell your friends, tell your family you like Boston true crime. You like crazy Boston accents. This is the stop for you. And also, guys, on your homework assignment, Fitzy, a couple other guys said they've already watched it, so I got to watch it, but I'm having a problem with Hulu. And it's not my wife this time. It's my television. It's outdated. I get this. You cannot play this episode on this device type of thing. So I'm not buying a new TV, I'll tell you that. But I'll figure it out, and I'll get it done shortly, and I'll get back with you. And also, we should probably go over the email policies again. I've changed it a little bit. If you're going to be abusive, I'm just simply not going to reply. If you can't hold an adult-level conversation, a college-level conversation via email, there's no sense in writing, and I'm not writing back. I just had a startling email from a woman who claims to be pen pals with one of the perpetrators of the cases we covered, and I guess they don't like what I'm saying in jail. And she got abusive, and I didn't reply, and I'm not going to reply anymore to emails like that, but I'll reply right here, and I'll say to you, 
Boo-hoo. Your friend is right where he deserves to be after using a tree branch on a young lady in the park. He deserves more than what he got. He's already gotten sympathy from society, and he should count his blessings, quite frankly. And this email from this woman covered a wide range of topics. You know what topic was omitted? Anything to do with the victim who was the same race as the perpetrator. Nothing to say about the woman who was brutalized in the park. Not one word. Just all boo-hoo about this other kid's life and his difficulty serving time in medium security prison. Again, lady, get it together, but also boo-hoo. The vast majority of unhinged emails seems to come from just a handful of cases. Lindsay Clancy among them. I guess people are surprised I came down on the side of three dead children. I guess you haven't been listening. But again, we don't have to agree. I don't know why people seek agreement in everything. But if you can't disagree reasonably, there's really no point in writing in. So that's the email policy. Just be a mensch. All right, guys, so we got a tremendous response. One of our largest responses to date for a first episode, and that was the episode last week on the death or murder of John O'Keefe in Canton, Massachusetts. And if you haven't listened to last week's episode, you should probably do so before listening to this one. It gives a pretty good foundation. I'm going to go over a few things today. And I want to thank people for responding to last week's episode, and I asked if anybody knew Aiden Kearney of Turtle Boy to drop him a line and see if he'd come on this show, and he did respond, and I think we're efforting that maybe for this coming week, and we'll discuss this case in depth. Like I said before, nobody knows this case like Turtle Boy, and the guy is absolutely fearless, absolutely fearless, and I admire that, I do. And you're going to have people saying he's not a real reporter and it's not a real news site. I disagree. What does it take to be a reporter? Just asking questions and go through what he says about this case. I said it before. If half of what Turtle Boy alleges in this case is true, Karen Reed is innocent. It's that simple. And that's overstating it. Half, I mean... I believe if in this case where Trooper Proctor is friends with Jennifer McCabe and the rest of that whole tribe there, a defense attorney, and Karen Reed has a great defense attorney here, they're going to drive a bus through that. They just are. Because when you're conducting an interview, when you're involved in an investigation and you know these people, there's a subconscious bias to do right by them. And I just don't understand why Trooper Proctor didn't tell a sergeant or lieutenant that he had a conflict in this case. If you want a true update, the only true update I've seen in the Boston media, I believe Turtle Boy News, just throw that into Google and it'll come up. I think he has like 23 or 24 parts to this. It just keeps on coming. There was a hearing Thursday or Friday of last week. And I think that's why I couldn't get Aiden on. He was busy with that. But there was a hearing, and the prosecutors are saying that's not Trooper Proctor in those photographs 
with the McCabe's and the Alberts, Turtle Boy seemingly disproves that pretty quickly. And I think some of these attorneys may be disciplined over this. And one of the items that was put out before the hearing was worded so strangely, only an attorney could have written it. And I'll go over that, but it raises more question marks than it's settled, really, you know. There's something wrong in this case. There's several things wrong. The prosecutors seemingly tried to conflate the Google searches of Jennifer McCabe. The first one, I believe, was made at 2.27 a.m. when she would have thought John was home in bed about how to die in the cold. 2.27 a.m. was the first attempt to get this information. The second was around 6 a.m. when John's body was found, and McCabe is trying to play it off like Karen Reed had asked her to do that. But at 2.27 a.m., she was home. She was home by herself waiting for John to come home. And then at around 6 a.m.-ish, she Googles this again. So they're trying to conflate those two Google searches, and it just doesn't work. Who was she trying to inform at 2.27 a.m.? Why did she need to know that at 2.27 a.m. when John was likely already in the snow and had been for two hours? Turtle Boy reports Jennifer McCabe has hired an attorney, high-profile criminal attorney Kevin Reddington. Some of the Alberts have also gotten attorneys. And there's a whole litany of stuff here that are more than question marks. And the prosecution and the people in Canton are putting this to some type of conspiracy theory. It's not. It's just an investigation of the facts. The defense has an ethical obligation to their client to do just that. And they have seemingly come across new evidence through this phone data. So what I'm going to do today, guys, is I'm going to give you more of a precise timeline, I hope. I think I kind of bounced all over the place a little bit during the last episode because it is, it's kind of a strange and difficult story to tell. So I think a timeline always helps with that. And one thing, a mistake I made, and I may have made it a few times during the episode, I think I said when they left the waterfall bar, John O'Keefe, Karen Reed, and the rest of the crew I think I told you it was snowing to beat the band. I don't think that's true now. I think there was at about 6 a.m. when John was found around that time, there was only about two and a half inches of snow on the ground. But this was the time it was, you know, storm force five, blizzard warning, you know. So I had just assumed it had snowed to beat the band, I guess, during the whole night. I don't think that's true. And that'll play a part later, guys. Also, guys, I want to talk about the charges a little bit. I think I told you in the first episode the charges were manslaughter, motor vehicle homicide, leaving the scene of an accident with personal injury. But it has been reported, guys, that the actual charge is second-degree homicide, manslaughter, leaving the scene of an accident, motor vehicle homicide. So that's more because second-degree homicide needs intent. That's a requirement of the charge. The charges I had read you, minus the second degree homicide charge, was directly from Turtle Boy's story where he has a screen capture of a charging document. 
So I'm a little confused on that, but either way, this could likely be decades in prison for Karen Reed. I just don't know how the prosecution would ever prove intent to kill John. I just really don't, unless they have more information than they're revealing, and that's quite often the case. But sometimes what prosecutors do is they have the highest charge, they have it so high, it prompts you to take a guilty plea on a lesser charge. And I think that's what was happening here. I don't think they have the motivation to establish second-degree homicide. If I've made an error here, please let me know at barry at bostonconfidential.net. little confusing. The whole case is a little confusing, quite frankly. And also, guys, I told you I had been efforting to get Turtle Boy onto the show, and I think we're going to do that probably next week. I'm hoping that's the case. And you want to know what, guys? Let me tell you. One of the questions I want an answer to, and it really hasn't been covered even by Turtle Boy. Like I said, there's so many moving parts to this case. But the ATF agent that was at the party, I believe his name is Brian Higgins, left the party, right? So this has got to be about 1230-ish, right? That's when everybody seemingly gets out of that house around the same time and would have to have walked near or past John's body. Right, John's body is on the lawn. So this ATF agent leaves the party and says he goes to work. He's not working a shift. He'd likely been drinking all night long, and he's going to leave there, and he says he goes to do administrative work at 1 a.m. on what, a Saturday night after drinking all night with his friends. I don't buy that, and I call bullshit right there. That stinks of establishing an alibi where people will know exactly where you were and when you were. But come on, that's a coincidence? That makes sense? Does that make sense to anyone? And people will say, yeah, you don't know if he was drinking all night, Barry. Come on. Come on, guys. Also, just real quick, guys, Turtle Boy reports and other outlets as well report that a federal grand jury has been convened on this case, and the FBI is investigating. Turtle Boy reported earlier in the week that Jennifer McCabe had received a summons. He believes others have as well, but he is confident that Jennifer McCabe has. McCabe also hired a high-powered attorney, Kevin Reddington. And quite frankly, guys, I think she's going to need him. All right, guys, so John's body was found on Saturday. January 29th, 2022, but the night really started the day before on the night of Friday, the 28th, 2022. Karen Reed and John O'Keefe had started their night at C.F. McCarthy's in Canton, Massachusetts. I think the waterfall bar is right across the street, and that's where they ran into Jennifer McCabe. Jennifer McCabe is a friend of John O'Keefe's, and O'Keefe does know the Alberts, but apparently not very well, and I think their relationship was a bit rocky here, because I always wonder why John wants to go to this after party when he could just go home with Karen, right? But sometimes you want a nightcap, and I think that's what happened here. Maybe he's looking to solidify his relationship with the Alberts. They are a big name in town. 
But in the Waterfall Bar, I believe it was the McCabe's, the Alberts, Brian Albert and his wife, Nicole, and Brian Higgins. I'm not exactly sure if all of them were at the Waterfall Bar, but all of those people were present at the party when they got there about 12.30 a.m. So at the party was Brian Albert, Nicole Albert, both McCabe's, Caitlin Albert, Brian Albert Jr. That was his party. It was his birthday. Friends of his, Julie Nagel and Sarah Levinson, were there. So I think that's about 12 people at a minimum, according to Turtle Boy. So between like midnight and 12.15, the crew gets ready to leave the Waterfall Bar. And at 12.18 a.m., John O'Keefe texts Jennifer McCabe. They had left the bar and were en route to Brian Albert's house in Canton, a short distance away. 12.18, John texts Jennifer and asks about the location of the house. They go back and forth a little bit. I think it was at this point that Karen Reed decides to bail. It's late at night. They had been out drinking, and it was basically time to go home. But John wanted to go to the party, and Karen drops him off. According to one witness, the only witness, I think, in this case who doesn't have a direct connection to the Alberts, Ryan Nagel, he went to pick up his sister, and he was parked outside the residence. And as he was departing, he saw Karen Reed in her car, by herself with the dome light on so it would have been fully illuminated she's by herself where would john be in the house right karen had texted him several times afterwards basically asking if he got in all right are you gonna stay that type of thing he doesn't respond so she thinks he's all set and just talking to people at the party his exercise tracker would later reveal at about 12 31 those were his last steps. He stops moving altogether. The phone stops. But prior to that, guys, it shows that John had climbed stairs, up and down stairs. He's walking around inside the house. But Turtle Boy theorizes pretty quickly, and I think this is the entire defense case. He gets in there, gets into some type of argument, and then a street fight with Colin Albert. And... Then Brian Albert joins in and the dog starts tearing John apart. And Turtle Boy says he falls down the stairs. John is thrown down the stairs or falls down the stairs, thus suffering that head wound that could have knocked him out. But this guy was pretty beat up, and I'll get into that in a little bit. So at 1241, Jen McCabe sends another text, just pull up behind me. And Turtle Boy theorizes, and the defense theorizes, this is a false text because John had already been hurt. And that would have looked like he was still either out in the car with Karen or had departed some other way, right? It seems like this is where the setup begins, if there is, in fact, a setup. And something appears wrong here. You can't deny that. Karen had left there and just went home assuming John had went into the party, because why wouldn't he? So the defense theorizes whatever happened, happened pretty quickly. And within an hour, guys, all these 10-plus people leave. They leave the party, right? John would have been on the lawn 
all those people, all those trained cops don't see a man in distress? Is he making noise? Would you make noise? Is he totally unconscious? Why is he out like laying on the lawn? So the theory the defense seemingly has is the fight goes down, John's at least unconscious, and he's bleeding, heavily bleeding, because his clothes were covered in blood. And somebody inside the house takes him outside. But before that, I think they tell everybody the party's over and everybody leaves. I don't know how two or three grown men over six feet tall fighting in a standard colonial home wouldn't garner some attention from other people in the house. But all the people leave, right? And if the prosecutor's theory is correct, John's already dead or dying on the front lawn and nobody sees him. Come on, 10 people leaving to go get your cars? I don't know if I buy it. I don't know if I buy that at all. But the defense seems to believe that he wasn't on the lawn yet, that John O'Keefe wasn't on the lawn. They dismiss everybody else from the party first. Then John's brought out and placed on the lawn because he was bleeding all over the place. So I know I had mentioned that John's phone stopped moving at 12.31 a.m., but at 2.27 a.m., the defense says that Jennifer McCabe Googled how long does it take to die in the cold, right? And it's misspelled and it's kind of jumbled, right? Probably because a night of drinking. So it's 2.27, Karen is home, and don't forget, the McCabes and the Alberts say that John had never made it into the house. So who is she inquiring about dying in the cold? Who is she inquiring about? The defense theory is that John was taken outside, placed on the lawn, and they were hoping he died of exposure, right? And he did. They never thought they'd have to explain it. They never thought... McCabe would have to give up her phone, but she did, and I think it's going to bite her in the ass. That is totally unexplainable. How do you do that? 227, about 1230, John's phone is no longer moving, right? So they theorize that John had been placed in the snow around that time. There are also some inconsistencies when Michael Proctor, Trooper Michael Proctor, went to interview Karen Reed at her parents' house in Dighton. The timeline seems off. They have a camera on the property, the Dighton property of Karen Reed's parents, and it is way off as to what Proctor had stated the time he took the car was. Why didn't he photograph the car as it was in the parking area, right? It would have showed a taillight that had been broken or not, you know? So. So many question marks here. I feel like I'm giving you more questions than answers, and I'm sure that's how the defense feels here. So some other oddities in this case. I think that's about the timeline there, and it kind of ends with him grabbing the vehicle. But he seemingly has the vehicle by himself, Proctor I'm talking about here, for an extended period of time. So, guys, I'm going to go over a little bit about what really just jumps out at me. But there was a hearing last week. The defense is looking to 
have more information provided in terms of video from the Canton Library because Karen Reed would have had to drive past the Canton Library. Now, the Canton Library's video system was working, and they did provide video to the police. But when the defense got it, guys, there was a gap from 2.37 a.m. to 2.39 a.m., the exact time where Karen Reed would have been driving by the library. That screams out that there's something wrong here. And ADA Lally, on video, in, in open court, really just stammers through it. There's really no good reasoning. It was just horrible. And if you watch the video, it's in segment number 22 on Turtle Boy. There's a ton of video. I urge you to go watch them all. It does not look good for the prosecution. There's two minutes of crucial video time from the video, and the ADA didn't know it? That's bullshit. And also, right, if you watch this guy, he has a tell. ADA Lally has a tell. When he lies, his face gets red. His neck gets red. Watch it on the video. It's insane. They also address at this time during this hearing Trooper Proctor's relationship with the McCabe's and Alberts. Well, actually, that's not true. They don't ever say that Trooper Proctor is not friends with the McCabe's and Alberts. They address a photograph that Turtle Boy had produced with Trooper Proctor and McCabe's children. And Lally goes on and on about this specific photograph and it wasn't McCabe's children or something like that. But he never says, guys, he never says Trooper Proctor is not friends with the McCabe's. He never says Trooper Proctor is not friends with the Alperts. That is massively telling. All he focuses on is the photograph, and I don't know why the judge didn't call him out on it. I urge you to watch this video on Turtle Boy News. Just Google TB News, and I think this is episode 22. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. They focus on the photograph, but not the relationship of Proctor, McCabe, and Albert. And that raises alarm bells for me, red flags all over the place. Because if he didn't know them, if he wasn't friends with them, he would have said that, and he didn't. All right, guys, I just want to list a few things that are major, major red flags to me. They should be to you. They go mostly unaddressed. But, okay, the first one is, a short time after John O'Keefe had passed away, Brian Alpert and his wife sold their home, right? Because don't forget, there had been no forensic searches of this house whatsoever. This home had been in the Albert family for years. There apparently had been no plans to sell it beforehand. The next thing is the dog, Chloe. They had this dog, the German Shepherd, who the defense believes tore up John's arm. And it does look like dog bites. It does look like scratches. There are parallel lines there. I don't see how that could ever happen with a five-mile-an-hour impact onto a snowy lawn in a blizzard. The dog has seemingly disappeared. There is really no explanation. Nobody knows where the dog is, if the dog's been put down. They've had the dog for seven years before that. 
supposedly an aggressive German shepherd, gone. Why is that? Why do you sell your house directly after somebody is killed there, right? The defense would say, so there could never be any forensic examination of the home that would stand up in court. The next item, guys, is the condition of the body. The allegation is that Karen intentionally ran over him while doing a three-point turn. So I would say the maximum amount of speed would be about five miles an hour, maybe under that. Take a look at the autopsy photos. Take a look at the dog bites. His eyes are swollen shut. And yes, that can happen from a head injury, right? But there's cuts. There's cuts on his eyelid. There are cuts to the left side of his nose. There's a two-inch gash on the back of his head. The prosecution also goes says that there are no defensive wounds. I dispute that. He's got bruising, severe bruising at his knuckles in his hand. And also, it's not a defensive measure to raise your forearm when a dog is attacking you. And I'm just repeating what Turtle Boy says here, and I agree with it. You raise your arm up to try to shake the beast off, right? So, guys, the house is sold pretty quickly. The dog disappears right away. The condition of the body doesn't seem like it could be that damaged through a five-mile-an-hour collision. And don't forget, guys, John is a big guy. He's like 6'3", 210. If you hit that, you're going to know it. But I guess that's where they say the motivation comes in or the intent to kill. I, I don't get it. So the next thing is the behavior of the ATF agent. You're out drinking. I know I had mentioned this earlier, but you're out drinking all night with your friends. And then at what, 1 a.m., you're going to work and he says he's going to work to do administrative work? What, drunk? And forensic examination of Mrs. McCabe's phone indicates that she deleted from her telephone diary calls to Brian Albert that morning. She deleted it before she handed it in to the state police. Why would you delete something from your phone during this time? Like, why would you have to? If you're innocent, if you're not doing anything wrong, why do you delete things from your phone? And that brings me to the text of 2.27 a.m. Why would you Google that if John had never come into the party? And what you said or what you thought is he went home with Karen. That is an alarm bell. That is a red flag. So just a quick recap. You sell the house and Turtle Boy reports that they took about $50,000 less than they normally would have if it would have been a normal sale. The dog disappears and nobody knows where because could they match the teeth up to John's injuries? Don't forget, they're going to try to do a saliva match between the dog and whatever wounds were on John, right? So the dog's got to go, perhaps, right? It's just some odd behavior. Now, throw in the missing time on the tape from the library. There's a gap from 1237 to 1239, the time when Karen would have passed by the library. All these things are coincidence. I don't buy it. Neither should you. Now, guys, throw in the fact that Colin Albert allegedly comes up with bruised knuckles, scarred knuckles 
in a photograph on social media just after John had passed away. Who did you get into a fight with? It's not worth asking. Prosecution, the state police don't want answers to that. Why are your knuckles all bashed up? Throw in the fact that they don't deny that Proctor knows Jennifer McCabe and the Alberts. They dispute who's in the photograph. They don't dispute the relationship. Also, guys, don't forget the statement of Ryan Nagel, one of the only witnesses here that don't have a direct connection to the McCabe's and Alberts, right? Ryan Nagel says he went to pick up his sister and saw Karen Reed's SUV at the house. She had the dome light on and she was the only person in the vehicle. So where did John O'Keefe go in the house? If John O'Keefe makes it into the house, Karen Reed is innocent. But more than that, guys, if John O'Keefe made it into the house, yes, Karen's innocent, but somebody else killed him. I urge you again to look at the videos on Turtle Boy News from episode 22. It's alarming. It is absolutely alarming. You know, why did Jennifer McCabe delete those entries from her phone? And don't forget... She said that Karen Reed asked her in the morning, just as they discovered John, to Google how long to die in the cold. And the defense says that's trying to delete or overwrite the first text. But the first text, the first inquiry at 2.27 a.m. is so garbled it stands alone because Google couldn't see it was a repeat. So at around 6 a.m. when John's found... She does Google the same thing again in an attempt to override the first search because she knows she's implicated herself. So she does that at 2.27 a.m. And then when she speaks with the cops, she had deleted other things from her phone. Is that reasonable doubt? If this thing ever gets to trial, I would say it is. All right, guys, again, go watch those videos episode 22 on turtle boy news and let me know what you think it's alarming it really is drop me a line at barry at bostonconfidential.net and let me know what you think also guys the only person arrested in this thing is karen reed she is innocent until proven guilty as is everybody else in this case i just want to add that caveat also before i let you go guys does it seem like the Boston police are even remotely interested in this case? I haven't heard one word of support for John O'Keefe. It's odd. It's a whole bunch of odd all over the place. So I'm going to get on to the next one. Hopefully we'll have Turtle Boy on next week. And I guess I'll see you on the flip side. Yeah.